You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Hello there and welcome to Momentum. It is Tim and Days with you once again. We really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks so much for doing that. Days, how are you? I'm really good. Looking forward to this, uh, this session today. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. We are so, so excited about this session and our guests today. In the meantime, just uh, pointing you towards the website, MomentumAustralia.org. You can find out a bit uh, more about who we are, what we do, what we hope to achieve through this ministry and radio show and podcast, MomentumAustralia.org for details. So our special guest today was uh, one of our very first guests on Momentum last year. He's uh, a dear friend of Des and I and hopefully a dear friend of yours through just the incredible wisdom that he brought to the show last year. He's been in counseling for many, many years. He's done trauma therapy. He's a former CEO and now ambassador for the Centre for Men and Families Australia. He's been married for decades. He's got adult kids. He's got grandchildren. He's got an adored black dog called Bobby. And he's got a dear set of friends around the nation because of Momentum. Richard Fay, welcome back to Momentum. (laughs) Thank you. And it's good to be back with you. That's great. So this is uh, a topic that we, I suppose we should start by saying, uh, when we thought about this, we thought there's real benefit in discussing this topic, but a bit, a bit of a disclaimer before we launch in to go, this is not meant to be controversial, it's just to bring awareness for men and to help men in this area, because it seems to be an area that has been perhaps uh, misinterpreted, misconstrued over the years. And so, you know, we, we today we're trying to, I suppose, bring some clarity to this topic. And the topic is what it means to be the man of the house and not just a man in the house. And so I suppose let's go back to the, the very first beginnings of this, Richard, um, this sense of what does it mean to be the man of the house? Where did that concept first begin? Well, if I, I could speak from an anthropological perspective, when we started becoming agrarian as people, we started to live in houses and we needed protection and we needed provision. And so it was the man because he was physically able, because of his physical strength, he could go out and kill the animal. He could protect the the farm. He could uh, provide the crops and the animals, the feed, the resources, the roof, literally the roof over the head. And of course, those trades then got passed on from father to son. Uh, and so sons would learn what their fathers knew. They would carry their name. That still happens largely. Sons carry the father's name. And so this became uh, central to what it meant to be the man of the house. Even uh, if I go back long enough, great empires had, had male kings, not queens. Men were the ones who provided and protected. And even if it was an 18-year-old who son who suddenly was the only man in the house because dad had died, he would take on that responsibility to care and protect and provide the family. Now, that was an onerous, not onerous, but a, but a, but a, a, a deeply uh, sacred responsibility. And, of course, then uh, through the, the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, this becomes central to what it means to serve. It becomes central to what it means to care and protect. Uh, Jesus himself says, uh, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Uh, this is actually the old uh, Jewish understanding of what was called an insula, where uh, the son would have um, marry and the father would tack on more rooms around the house and bring uh, he would bring his bridegroom into the house. And the, the the father, the patriarch, in the most loving, caring, generative 
way, like the prodigal father and the prodigal son story, he would provide and care and protect and provide wisdom and presence to the whole family. That's it's interesting. What do you think the difference is, uh, Richard, between um, a man, the man of the house, and a man in the house? Because they're two different things, aren't they? Well, they certainly could be two different things. Uh, look at what popular culture gives us. Uh, I'll give you a man in the house. His name is Homer Simpson. Yes. He's a buffoon. <laughs> He's a fool. He doesn't take responsibility for himself or anybody. And that's that's now over 30 years of popular culture, mirroring back to us what's often understood as the man in the house. So the, he retreats into his man cave. He's got his, his remote control. He's got his beer. He, he goes uh, and, and shuts down and doesn't take responsibility for anyone or anything. He can be argumentative and angry. This is the op- opposite of, of what is originally understood of being the man of the house. He becomes an irresponsible fool and not caring or serving or showing up, but actually being absent, but physically present. And then sometimes not even physically present. So Richard, then that is in stark contrast to to what you started by saying in the description that you gave initially about what it meant to be the man of the house to then we've got this, you know, albeit cartoon character of Homer Simpson to who kind of epitomized what it could be to be a man in the uh, in the house, not of the house. So where do you think that this started changing? Where, when do you think that this this idea of what a man was taught to be, I'm hesitant to use the word, you know, should be, but when did that start, the lines start blurring and men become a man in the house and not of the house? So it started in the Industrial Revolution. What happened was factories and mines took men out of the house and they would work long hours to provide for their families and to medicate their loneliness and distress in these often oppressive or typically oppressive work environments, they would get drunk on the way home and then they'd come home drunk and then they'd be abusive and they'd be disconnected from their their children's stories because no longer are they teaching their sons a trade, no longer are they t- uh, being a safe, loving presence to their daughters, no longer are they partnering with their wives and what it means to be a family. They're they're disconnected. So now education falls under the role of the mother, the woman. And so now nurturance and care is entirely the role of the woman. And increasingly, the man starts to feel, I don't belong, I don't fit. So for the last 500 years, increasingly, the role of the man in the house has been eroded so that he can start to think, I'm not wanted. So that often I see it happen where uh, women become mothers and the man feels like he's a, a third wheel or a fifth wheel. I don't, I'm not, I'm ancillary. And suddenly all the affection and devotion goes to the child and I'm, I'm out of the house for 50, 60, 70 hours a week. It's still happening now in a post-industrial society where men are working very, very long hours typically, often in very difficult, physically challenging works. If they're in, in any kind of building or trade or farming, they're working incredibly long hours in very physically demanding roles. Or if they're in business, they can be in very emotionally and psychologically, mentally demanding roles. Now, I'm not to suggest women aren't, but women stayed connected to the roles in the home even though sometimes women found themselves victims to a man in the house, not a man of the house. Mm. And so we started then misunderstanding patriarchy. We started seeing patriarchy as something toxic 
So because the man is coming into the house drunk, the man is coming into the house disconnected and abusive. He then wants to be king of the castle and thinks it's all about him because this is the only place I get to rest. And I don't actually have a relationship with anyone else in the house. And because others don't have a relationship with him, he's not gaining the respect. He's not getting the care. There's no two-way relationship. It becomes very disconnected. So that's where the whole thing came unstuck. As we've watched over the last 500 years, and it's accelerated in the last century with two world wars that has made it so difficult that men came back into the house carrying truckloads of trauma from war and been away from their families for four, five, six years. If they come back at all, they come back traumatised and they come back disconnected. And uh, I, I and myself, and my father went to World War II, my grandfather went to World War I. I know some of this story. So, Richard... What you painted there was a quite an accurate picture then of where we've landed in 2022. And, and all three of us on this call then are a byproduct of what has happened then um, around that relational status over the last, you know, 150, 200, however many years it's been. And for us, you know, over the last three to four decades with our dads and the way that they've parented us. So let let's talk to men who are obviously listening right now and they can relate to what you've just said about this this picture that you've painted about how this dynamic in the house works. Um, where do we go from here as men? Like, how do we even start to rectify this problem? Because this is, I would say, more common than not. This is what you painted there was probably a more common picture in most households in Australia than it than it's not. So how do we as men start to rethink what this role may look like for us? The first is to discover that a man is as relational as a woman. Uh, We have a lot of thinking out there that women are relational and men are functional. And this is uh, an overreach. This is not saying the whole truth. So if a man starts to connect with his children, starts to connect with his wife or partner, he starts to engage again relationally and find out about what their world is, start to listen to them, start to be present, fully present to what's going on around him, then the thing that he earns for most is respect. But you don't get respect, you earn it. You don't take respect from another person because if it was given uh, reluctantly or unwillingly, it's not respect. It's, uh, It's coerced from a person and you cannot coerce respect. You can coerce somebody to uh, to submit or conform or, or, or uh, follow you or agree with you, but they're doing it fearfully or, or resentfully. They're not doing it joyfully. But you can earn respect through getting involved and getting engaged, listening to the stories of the people you live with and offering. When I finish with this call later on, I'm going to mow a lawn. (laughs) Now, most men mow their lawns. Why do they mow their lawns? Because they're physically stronger. There it is. That's the connection right back to the agrarian societies. That's one connection we have back to when we were farming people. And uh, if you have a lawn and and your wife is mowing it, can I encourage you? Or somebody else is mowing it. Can I encourage you to get out there and mow it? Sounds like a stupidly practical thing. But there's a great sense of satisfaction in doing it. And then, of course, once you've done it, invite your family out onto the lawn. Yeah. And <laughs> have, you know, a have, a pic- 
have a picnic, exactly. <laughs> Start to celebrate what again what it means for us to be us. You're, you, you could fall into the trap of believing your primary role is to financially provide for your family because that's the only role left to you. But there are many, many mm. roles left to you. Do you know that that children, and, and this is sounds like a sexist comment I'm going to make here, but research has proven that children benefit differently when their dad reads to them at night than when mum's, mum reads to them. Children learn in ways they'll never learn with mum. They learn a bigger world. They learn because of the way that a father reads to a child. And, and it's something that we just say, no, that's a woman's job. No, it's not a woman's job. It, it's it's a it's a both-and job, but I can say, do you know there are little things? My wife said to me when our children were little uh, that I was to bath them at the end of the day. She said, because I get to breastfeed them, you don't get that loving gaze, but you know you do when they're in the bath because they're weightless and it's like being back in the womb and they're going to look at you and they're going to bond with you and connect with you and you're going to experience the joy of this young life. And so that's one of the mm. ways in which men can bond with little children when they're newborns and when they're young is, is to bath them and have that loving gaze. That's really cool. You know, is it one of the interesting things about today's society is, you know, w when men think that they are the boss, right, as opposed to being a partner, and and, and they're very very different things. So how would you just how would you help guys who think that being the head of the house is being the boss, you know, as opposed to leading a partnership? Well, that's that's the problem because my head sits on on top of my body, and my my I think of my head as making all my decisions. Oh, but trust me, when I'm hungry, I eat. Uh, when when I when I need to relieve myself, I don't wait too long. When I'm tired, I go to bed. I actually listen to my body all the time, and I serve its needs. Now, that's the key word: is I serve its needs because its needs are important i care for my body deeply my body matters to me because without it uh i don't i can't exist i don't exist and and therefore the role is to listen and to serve and to care my my mind can come up with all kinds of wonderful ideas but on its own it can do nothing absolutely nothing and of course i'm using metaphors that paul uses for the church but also metaphors that Paul uses for marriage, the Apostle Paul, that these roles of headship don't mean domination. Yeah. They don't mean overruling. They don't mean oppression. They don't mean it's my way or else. You know, there's an old song, uh, the man's song. Uh, it's quite funny, the lyrics oh, yeah. of it. It's basically the opposite. It's in what I say goes around here right out the window. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to hear a lot I of whining. Oh, shut up. <laughs> the sooner you learn who's the boss around here, the sooner I you can give me the orders. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's the flip yeah. it, because neither neither is the boss. Neither the husband nor the wife is the boss. I'll tell you, in our family, Christ is Lord. Yeah. There's the boss. And both of us have access mm. to that. Yes. Uh, and mm. yes, uh, there is a headship to me. And I've reckon, I, I, and I, I think this is best told in a story. Can I tell a story? Yeah. Have time yeah. To tell? So I tell a story about when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and she had chemo and it went into remission and then it came back. And one night I drove down to uh, their place, which was about 20 minutes away. And uh, they were sitting on the couch, dumbstruck. It was uh, coming on night. 
and my mother knew that she only had months to live. And my father was overwhelmed by the knowledge that he was going to outlive her and that she was going to die. And my mother, of course, was struck with grief. I got them up. I put them in their pajamas. I got them to clean their teeth. I tucked them in, uh. tucked them into bed and I turned out the light. I drove home and I sat on the ends of the beds of my sons and watched them sleep. And then I went and hugged and kissed my wife and told her, I get to do this with you. And I'm so glad you're in this journey with me. What was opening up in me was enormous responsibility and the burden of it. But knowledge that I am connected to everyone in that story and all of them matter to me. And yes, there is a headship there. I'm, I'm not afraid or ashamed to say it, but that headship is a partnership. It's a recognition that I have a role, I have a responsibility to carry and to care and to nurture and to provide and to protect. If there's a noise in the house, I'm the one that's going to get up. If um, if something's terribly wrong, I'm going to rush off to the hospital at three o'clock in the morning with a son who's suddenly sick and I'm not going to make my wife do it. These are burden. This is what headship looks like. This is what headship looks like. And uh, it's mm. it's a burden, but it's a partnership with our the, what what the Bible uses that old King James version help meet. Yeah. Uh, it's not that it's not a plug in to make me more effective. It's a partnership where two become more powerful than their separate uh, selves could be together. And a three-stranded mm. cord of quoting Ecclesiastes is not easily broken. So this is a beautiful role. It's a yeah. heart driven role that men often lost sight of because of the reasons we explained earlier. Richard, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. What I'm loving is that you're giving men really practical uh, examples of what it can mean to be the man of the house in, in a really loving way. And you use the words to serve, to listen, and to care. And I, and I really love some of the examples that you're giving, practical things that men can go, oh, okay, I never actually saw it that way, or I never thought that that would be what it meant to be the man of the house or to lead in that way from a loving caring perspective we're going to take a short break and what i'd love to come back and talk about is what it means to be the man of the house from a spiritual perspective as men listening who have a faith now and might be a little confused about what does that mean if i'm the spiritual head of the home and the man of the house so we're going to take a short break in momentum and come back and have that discussion in just a moment with richard fay in the meantime love you to check out our website momentumaustralia.org you are listening to momentum right here we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Momentum. It is uh, Tim and Days with you once again. We really appreciate you being here and I hope you're getting some from our conversation today with Richard Fay. We'll jump back in with Richard in just a moment. Uh, in the meantime, uh, again, just uh, pointing you towards the website, MomentumAustralia.org. You can find out a bit more about this ministry, what we hope to achieve through this ministry. There's a whole bunch of resources on the website too and, of course, previous episodes of the show. And if you'd like to financially support us, we would really appreciate that. A few dollars here and there just helps keep Momentum on the air wherever you are listening all around Australia right now you can make a secure donation online at momentumaustralia.org so our topic today is the man of the house what does that mean in 2022 to be the man of the house and our special guest is richard fay richard fay has been a counselor for many many years and uh, has a lot of wisdom in this area which we're gleaning from today richard it's uh, so good to be having this conversation with you thank you for being here it is good to be here uh, it's really good uh, and we really appreciate it richard uh, you got a wealth of knowledge and you know, I, I look at my own life and two failed marriages and, and Tim's in a similar sort of situation. And, and so, you know, we haven't done it well. I certainly didn't do it well. 
but what, what the, the question I was going to ask was, you know, there's so many men that I've come across and they probably listening to the show now and they are in a relationship where, you know, their partner, their wife is controlling their world. Um, and it could be because she's dominating or it could be because he hasn't stepped up, whatever the reason. So I'm wondering what advice you'd give those men in terms of how they would change their life or change their process or change their behaviours to help them get to a point where they have a balanced friendship, relationship, decision-making process, etc. Thoughts? One of the biggest problems we have now, right now in the world, all over the world, whether it is politics, business, the family, is the understanding of power. We have an understanding of power that it's scarce and limited. But in God's perspective, power is unlimited, but only when it's given away. So what that means is when I give up my power, I get more power. This is what we see in the cross of Christ. He laid down his life. And, of course, he's resurrected with more power than he ever had before he died. This is the beauty of the power of of, of serving, of, of giving our lives away. But what does that mean in the story you just told? So what happens often is the woman either experiences the man not stepping up, and so she does and feels like she has to do everything. And then having done everything, she doesn't trust the man that he will handle responsibilities as well as she will she won't hmm. uh relinqu- release or relinquish the now the power that she's got and she also may have some resentment strangely uh that i have to do all these things but not willing to let go of it because um it's strangely that resentment can empower her well at least someone's doing it i'm doing it and i know that i'm going to get it done and he's just not going to show up now, it also can be because that was modeled for her as a child. It could also have happened through uh, other experiences growing up, not just in the marriage. It might be you've come into a marriage where a woman thinks it's her role to do everything or she does not listen or respect what the man has to say or do. In this situation, the man's invitation or sorry, the man's response is normally to hold on to power and to preserve his power, which he does then tries to defend himself. He either gives up and pulls pulls out of the responsibilities of the family altogether, or he starts to get into a power struggle like an arm wrestle and starts to wants to yield power. And so they end up in conflict. And so he starts saying things like, you don't get to say how we're going to spend the money. You get to say everything. I've had enough of this. And he starts to get into conflict with her. Of course, that doesn't work because now we've got a power struggle, both of them believing in scarcity of power. So how we can reset things is by giving his power up. Now, this sounds completely uh, antithetical. So let me explain what I mean by giving his power up. By giving his power up to be right, he listens to her story. He says, now, I notice that you make all the decisions around money. Can you tell me your stories, a story about where you don't trust me with money? where you've learned to not trust men with money. I need to hear those stories. And as she shares those stories, he can then say, one, I ask for your forgiveness. I am sorry. I hear your pain. I acknowledge what what you've felt. And I also want to acknowledge your fear that if I got involved in this, that it would go pear shaped. Now, and having heard her, she then has an awareness that he, 
wants to know her story. He's not just trying to fight her. He's not trying to win a battle. He's actually listening and, and not agreeing logically with what she's saying. The woman should handle the money. He's listening to her experience and that it matters to him. Mm. And then wow. he has the opportunity to say, now, I want you to hear what's going on for me. Do you want to hear what's going on for me? What's going on for me is I feel like I don't matter. I feel like anything I've got to offer in, let's use money as an example, anything I've got to offer in money doesn't matter. I work really hard and then I don't have any say in where the money goes. And I honour your handling of it, but I don't even know what my role is here and I feel very alone in this. And I imagine you might feel very alone in handling it all. What would it look like? What would it look like if we were, not that, well, I'm going to, what would it look like if we were going to share that responsibility, if I was going to be included in that role? So that then she gets to explore with him a different approach. It's not either or now, it's a both and, but it has to start with him listening to her. Yes. And yes. then being vulnerable with his own story. Yes. It's strange because mm. the man doesn't look strong in that moment, but the word courage comes from the French word to bear my heart. It's a strange thing to say this, but when the man bears his heart, guess what? The woman now understands him not as a problem, not as a buffoon, not as someone who doesn't have a clue, not as someone who's not involved or not willing to be involved, but someone who's a human being alongside her who wants to be, who cares for her, and wants to provide support to the family. That's, that's really, really cool. I, look, I encourage men who are listening to this show to think and rook, and pay back the words that Richard has just used in terms of how he starts the conversation. Because if you start the conversation right, it, it will go right. If you start the conversation wrong, it's going downhill really quickly. And so yes. I, I, I encourage you guys to replay this or go to the podcast and listen to the words that Richard used because I think they're absolutely solid. It is always either a lose-lose, a win-lose, or a win-win, and you get to choose. If it's a fight, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. Hmm. If it's a polarised polarized, uh, oppositional conflict where she says, I've done it always, I'm going to keep doing it, it's, it's a win-lose. She wins, you lose. And if it's going to be a win-win, it, it takes it – it's almost – against what you think i've got to trust richard what i love about that is that that like you said in the image of christ's sacrifice that where we take that that the higher ground if you like although we 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 come to that position then where we step into that space and we lead that conversation as men and it looks like it's kind of cultural right because it looks like we're giving away our power and yet the reality is we're actually stepping into our real responsibility of leadership in that moment. Um, can I ask then, you know, that that's a great conversation to have. And the hope is, of course, that then two people sit in that conversation emotionally, maturely, have that conversation and it brings some good fruit. Let's paint a picture that perhaps is more, more common in that the conversation happens and yet one party still really struggles with either stepping into that space, whether it's the woman, you know, relinquishing and then coming to the trust of the man and having that conversation, or whether the man, again, like Des says, comes into the conversation, it starts well, but then it goes sideways somewhere in the conversation, you know, and they just keep in this cycle of we're, we're trying to fix this, but we just can't get out of this thing. How do, how do we deal with that? 
the problem there, of course, is you've got two subjective people. In other words, they can't see outside their own context. And so you need a third party to come in who's got some skills in handling that kind of conflict. Now, I'm talking about a marriage therapist, marriage counsellor, someone who's got some training and objectivity and is helping tease out the stories and the awareness. And you know, it's what I, what I end up finding because that's a lot of my work. What I end up finding is that both the husband and the wife are actually on the same page, but they don't know it. In other words, the wife is saying, I wish I had someone to carry this with. I wish I wasn't alone in it. And the man is saying, I wish I'd be included in this story. The, man, the woman's saying, no. I want to trust you, but yeah. I don't. And the man's saying, I want you to trust me, but I don't know how to get in. It's funny. Once I get them to hear each other's story, often right in front of my eyes in my, in my room, I see the lights go on and suddenly they see one another, two hurting people yeah. quite alone who discover that they can be together in their story rather than oppositional. Wow. That's powerful. That's huge. Yeah. So then let's let's go back to the the other side of um what we've been talking about this this idea of being the man of the house uh, and leading that. We did mention before the break about what does it mean to be the man of the house spiritually. So for men listening right now who have a faith and are married, you know, we we hear this the, this idea of the man being the head of the home and and you know, taking the spiritual responsibility. What do you think that really means for a man? in 2022 for men listening right now? It's a really good question. So it, it is a role for the man to not go so rapidly to fear, but to go to faith, go to prayer. Uh, and, and sometimes to demonstrate and model it, invite, but not demand. Uh, I can tell you a story where um, I, I said to the family when my boys were uh, early teenage years that I because we used to do family devotionals around the meal table and then they became teenagers and we stopped doing it. And I said, right, we're going to do devotionals again. And my, my teenage sons looked at me and laughed. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, Dad, and they said, Dad, you're not telling us what to do. This is weird. This is not how we do it. And, of course, what we ended up doing were much more honest conversations around faith. Hmm. Now, I was a pastor at the time. And, of course, I felt this co- this this uh, this responsibility as the pastor that I had to have family devotions. Yes. And I started telling my family that we're, this is what we we're going to do, how we're going to do it. And my wife just watched because she knew what was going to happen. Now, I've got to say my three sons are men of faith and they're loving husbands and loving fathers. But it didn't come by me coercing or, or forcing or mandating it but inviting a conversation in. Of course, they get to see me pray. They get to see me worship. They get to see me at church. They get to experience me taking on this role all the time, whether they come with me or not. But I'm not doing it to show them up. I'm doing it because this is my own, own journey, my own story. Uh, there are things that that really do matter for me. And, uh, for example, go, going on holidays, often knowing I'm going to have fighting kids in the back seat, I will... I will not just force a prayer, I will invite God's presence into that car. And sometimes I will, when the kids are fighting, I'll stop and I'll look at them and I'll go, this is not happening under my roof because we are people of grace and mercy. We are people of faith. And as long as you want to fight in the car or fight at the meal table, well, you can leave the meal table and you can wait or I will just sit in the car and wait. I'll get out of the car 
And when you're ready to listen, care for one another, forgive one another, then we'll start driving again. I don't wait for my wife to do that. That was my responsibility because I knew it was my responsibility because not because I was a pastor, but because there is this headship which is serving the needs of others, not ruling and, and, and reigning. And, and as I said, sometimes I fell into the trap of, oh, I've got to be in charge. Hmm. I want to go, you know, that, that verse in Ephesians 5, um, wives submit to your husbands. Well, you know, the previous verse, there's a heading between the two. There's previous verse that says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a mutuality to this, but there is still a role, absolutely a role. And I know that uh, having, I also allow my faith, my sons to explore their faith in their own way. So they belong to different Christian denominations and I don't care. They go to different churches. I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. If they love Jesus and they love their families, that's enough for me. They don't have to have the same theology as me. Yeah. Hmm. I don't even have the same theology as me all the time. <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's always moving and changing a little bit. <laughs> you know, where, where, what what you which is the best translation, or you know, which what denomination has the has the handle on everything. So, in closing, uh, Richard, it's been a great discussion, and I'm just wondering what would the top tips you would have for you know men who are in this situation or trying to discover how to be the man in the house. Uh, but also there's a lot of women listening to the show too. So maybe you could offer some tips to them as well in terms of you know, how they can do life different. Yes. Uh, the, f- the first one I wanted to say is when anger comes into the story, I want everyone in that story, both men and women, to notice that anger is about one of two things. It's about anxiety and powerlessness. Anxiety, something bad is going to happen if we keep going down this path or powerlessness. I don't have power and I want power. So slow that story down and hear the person. Sometimes it's giving space because anger is the most destructive agent when it's when it's powerless anger in any home. Sometimes a man has to go for a walk, go for a, a, a 10-minute walk and calm himself and ask himself, what is the best thing that could happen when I come back in the door? How And, and, and how do I not react or fuse myself to another person's responses or reactions? How do I stay in control of my own responses? That's the biggest tip I could ever give to any man or to any woman in any domestic situation. How do I stay in control of my own response? That is powerful. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, The man of the house, that has been our topic this week on Momentum. Uh, We really appreciate you tuning in. Our special guest has been Richard Fay. If you'd like to find out more about Richard Fay, his website is richardfay.com.au. You can find out a bit more about Richard uh, and uh, his backstory and uh, what he could potentially offer you moving forward. Um, Richard, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. And there's been so much in the show today. Uh, Really encourage men to go back to the website, have a listen, check out the podcast. And, uh, and again, perhaps rethink some of the language that you're using in your relationship because the way that Richard has uh, given examples today of certain things uh, is really practical ways that you can implement those into your marriage or your relationship and to potentially see a different outcome. And, of course, that is why we're here, to help you, to serve you, and to see you grow into everything that, um, that you are created to be. And so, Richard, we really appreciate your input into the show. Um, thank you again for being on it, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It's an important topic and I'm grateful for your time. You've been listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. 
For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum. Momentum.